Good morning. This is attorney Vincent Davis, and I'm broadcasting this morning from Orange County, California. The name of this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes to keep our families together. Good morning. It is Saturday morning, 8 a.m., July 23rd, 2016. Today's show is going to be focused on bringing lawsuits against social workers and counties. Um, A number of people have asked me, hey, why don't you ever talk about uh, some of the work that you do in representing people in civil rights cases against social workers? And uh, the reason why I haven't is because uh, the, foc- the, show- the focus of the show is getting your children back through the juvenile, juvenile dependency courts and trying to help people and educate people uh, on that particular subject, which is different from suing a social worker in state or federal court asking for money. Because in a civil case, you cannot get your children back. You can only sue for money. In the juvenile court, if the court has jurisdiction over the children, that is the only place that family, relatives, and parents can go to try to get custody of children who are in foster care. Um, Our phone lines are backing up, so I'm going to take a call right off the bat before we get into the subject of suing social workers. The first call I'm going to take is area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning. Hello, Vincent. Attorney Vincent Davidson. Yeah, hi, Vincent. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Did you have a story to share, or did you? Yeah, I really have a story to share. It's been really frustration. Um, It's like I don't know where to start. It's been going on for 13 months, and mom and dad have really been going through the ringer with uh, social services and the outsource they have to supposedly, you know, take care of children. What has really happened, and it's really sad to say, is that we started off with. Uh, trying to follow the system, thinking that the system would be fair to us as parents. And uh, we, uh, at first, because of our financial situation, can only afford uh, what they provide us as public defenders who, sad to say, and if people listen out there, try to get yourself a paid attorney, a good attorney that will represent you because the public defenders or the defenders that they um, have you um, hook up with uh, I really just do a minimum. They have so many cases, over 100 cases, and it's just kind of like a hit and miss, and they go around and, and they do very little, and they won't fight for your kid. What's happened is that mom and dad have completed all the requirements of the case plan as far as reunification. What has gone worse is that every visit, every week, the rules have changed. It's gotten to the point where it's so degrading, and our kids now, even the last visit that uh, mom and dad have, the kids are no longer allowed to put their arms around their parents or to stand like soldiers with their hands to the side. And uh, what has happened is that the, the staff that's taking care of the kids are so corrupt. The system is so corrupt from top to bottom. Um, it's really it's it's really gotten hard on us because we would set up a visit, and our visits used to be multiple times. The idea was to have unification, and mom and dad would try to see our kids. But every week they try to destroy it, they try to change it. It's like uh, like this just recently, this past week, Monday, mom shows up for for her two thirty PM in the afternoon and what does the staff do? They sit there with their arms crossed and say, Uh uh-uh, uh, you're supposed to be here at two o'clock. They not inform mom, didn't know the change or anything, and so mom, after riding four buses and going for four hours on the bus to get there, has to turn around and do the same thing. And the kids are that they're very disillusional. And it's really, I mean, you brought this subject today about suing. The, the social services have no accountability. The public defenders defending our kids, are they're locked in. They have one outsourced attorney firm representing all the cases, and this is in Orange County, 
at one law firm to do all this. These law firms have so many complaints and so corrupt, but with only one law firm, you know, they could do anything that they want. Their goal is not to, is to have the, the kids taken away from parents. In fact, the goals from, from social services to social social worker, we've gone through three social workers. The last two just dropped out of the blue. We are with them, and uh, we're supposed to have a hearing, a six-month hearing on December 21st. It's been postponed six times. Been waiting seven months. Now they want to combine the six. Now they're trying to uh, relocate her daughter out of state. They're, they just get so carried away. They gave her daughter a cell phone, a minor. We didn't want her to have a cell phone, but they just gave her a cell phone like it was nothing, no big deal. It opens up. It's a smartphone. It's not just a cell phone. There's no restrictions. Our daughter is allowed to come and see. Our daughter, our, our kids are supposed to tell us that they cannot make it for some type of a reason like the sick or an activity. Now, she doesn't want to see mom because why? Because mom is, is, is mom and dad are saying she doesn't want her to visit a bad aunt, an aunt that got her older daughter into drugs, got her older daughter into a lot of problems back there and no boundaries and someone who works 60 hours a week. There are so many issues, uh, Vincent, that have come down these past 13 months. It's unbelievable. We're so far backwards and so far, and now they want to dump all this on a hearing coming up and we have a whole list of things that's going to take months and months to have them all said, to get the witnesses come and to get everything there. It's just, it's just on and on. And I'm telling all your listeners out there that, that the system is not working. The system is bad. And it's got to be stopped. It's got to be stopped because right now we're a class example because financially I lost my job is why I get away from this, is if I had the money, I would not have been in the situation I am in. Um, uh, I'm just uh, I'm just appalled by what's been going down, Vincent. Well, I can well, I can I share can your frustration. Share your frustration. Uh, I am sorry I'm that uh, sorry you that are going through, going through this, and uh, the best I can do is try to keep the faith. Keep the things faith. Will, change. will change, and uh, you and, will uh, prevail you in your case. In your case. Yes, we just thank you for calling. Just, for calling. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Vincent, for listening, and thank you, thank listeners. You. But fight for your kids, listeners. Fight for your kids, and 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 Vincent's got a lot of things behind him. So get a good attorney and fight for your kids. Thank you for calling. Thank you for calling. Uh, the next call I'm going to take is also from area code five six two, ending in four eight. <clears throat> Good morning, Good morning, you're on with Attorney. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Did you want to share a story or ask a question this morning? I could share a story. I just first of all want to say I appreciate you and your team. Uh, my little girl's asleep right now in my house. Because of you guys, you've done a wonderful job. I got into this whole thing blindfolded. The drug out for a long time because I started out with public defender, and again they don't do much. I'm a non-offending father, and it just seems like everybody was against me, and they were telling me no, 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 and I was nice to them. I did not take no for an answer. Every time they threw a no at me, I said okay. What do I need to do next? To myself, I did my research. I had a regular lawyer on the case. He drug it out. I think he was just getting a paycheck. Fortunately, my mother found you guys, and she were on your site. And it was just uh, just a wealth of information on your site, and I really appreciate that. So because of that, I was able to, you know, find out the social worker supposed to do due diligence and place my daughter with friendly family members, which they did not do that. They continued to kind of, um, I don't know how to say it, lead me on that she's okay where she is. She was two hours away from me. I made 178 visits to my daughter over a 13-month time. And uh, I just couldn't understand that they had told the caregiver that she would be able to adopt my daughter out. Uh, My daughter's African-American, and they told her, uh, 90% of the African-American fathers do not come forward for their children, and 95% of the mothers do lose their children to the system. Personally, I'm not African-American, but uh, my, my, my daughter's mother is. 
So they were going on that basis, and, um, you know, I did everything that I was supposed to do. They asked me to do, well, I started my mandates before they asked me. So I did everything. I jumped on it right away. And it seemed like they were a little bit agitated when I went to my court hearing. And, uh, you know, I'm like, here's this certificate. Here's this one. Here's this one. I mean, I did a whole bunch of things, seven or eight different things. And I'm like, well, you need individual counseling for eight months. And for me, when they threw stuff at me, I wasn't going, oh, no. I was anxious to get it over with. Okay, let me get started. I got that done. Then they wanted 730 evaluation. Okay, I got that done. Oh, the 730 evaluation is not good enough. You were too defensive. You need to take another 730 evaluation. And I'm like, really? Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, what if I don't pass the test? And you turn in and I had said, it's just a personality thing. Anyway, I passed that. And then they were still not recommending my daughter to come home. Fortunately, I was able to hire your team. You guys went in there and said, stop this nonsense. Let this little girl get home to her father. And it's just been a relief ever since then. And there's a few things, technicalities that you brought up to me where my civil rights have been violated. Like I said, it's, uh, I didn't know anything about that. I knew when they first did this to me, I was thinking, I wish I had an attorney that knew these rules because I'm not an attorney that knows these rules, but I know my civil rights are being violated, and I know that my daughter's civil rights are being violated. So. Well, thank you for calling, and thank you for sharing that story with us. If you had one thing or two things that you wanted to tell our listeners if they're involved in the juvenile dependency court, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them that you do. Uh, you are entitled to a hearing within 48 hours. I did not get that hearing. And that Section 309, I believe it is, Child Welfare Act, or social workers supposed to do their due diligence to place their children with friendly family members. And that should probably be done within the first 30 days. And it took 13 months for them to do that. And I found out that if the foster caregiver has your children for 12 months or more, they can actually adopt them out no matter what you're doing. So you get kind of caught up. The thing that I would tell the listeners, hire Vince Davis team. You can't go in there blindly. It's no, if you don't have the money, do what you have to to get the money because it's about the children. It's not about you and I. And you need to get your children home with you immediately. And I'm going to thank you, Mr. Well, thank Davis. You. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for calling and sharing. Have a, Have a great day, sir. Bye-bye. You know, the last caller mentioned something that's important, and I have talked about this section of the Welf California Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 309. I would say, and I don't think this would be an exaggeration, I would say probably in 80 to 85% of the cases that law is not complied with by the social workers and their agencies. Um, that law requires them to investigate and report to the court about possible relatives that can take care of your children. <clears throat> and it requires them to investigate every relative that they find can report back to the court whether that relative can be a placement. Now, an interesting thing happens. I, I, I've, have a, I've had a few cases in the city and county of San Francisco. At the beginning of every case, um, San Francisco goes and hires an outside vendor for relatives, uh, and then they prepare a report, and they present that, court, that report to the court. I was asking one of the attorneys up there why <clears throat> San Francisco hires an outside vendor to do the search for the relatives. And what I was told was, and I don't know if it's true, but what I was told was uh, the reason why San Francisco hires an outside vendor, number one, is um, they had been sued in the past for not trying to locate relatives and place children with relatives. 
And number two, uh, social workers, you know, they're busy doing social work. Um, they don't have the time probably nor the inclination to go on uh, in-depth searches for relatives. So what a lot of counties do, um, they put the burden or they try to put the burden on the parent to try to um, have the parents tell the social worker, uh, you know, of the relative. But the, the burden really isn't on the parent. The burden is on the social worker. And the social worker has to do what's called a due diligence to find these relatives. Um, so I don't think very many counties um, go to the expense of hiring an outside vendor to do these searches. Um, I'm very familiar with Southern California counties, San Diego, Orange County, Riverside, San Bernardino, and Los Angeles. And I can tell you they don't do that. They live it, leave it up to the social workers to find the relatives. And the social workers, for the most part, leave it up to talking to the parents or other relatives take the child. Here's the problem with that. Parents sometimes have their own agenda and don't want to tell the social worker about relatives. For example, I was involved in a case many years ago where uh, the parents were accused of drug abuse, and um, neither of the parents wanted to tell the social worker about any relatives because um, they didn't want the relatives to know what had happened to them. They were embarrassed, and they figured at the beginning of the case, oh, We'll get our drug situation under control. We'll go to counseling, do the testing. Well, in 12 to 18 months, the parents weren't able to uh, deal with that disease of, the, of drug addiction, and the child was set on a path for uh, being adopted. Lo and behold, the parents decide to tell some relatives because it's getting kind of hard to hide the fact that they don't have the children in their custody. Um, and then the relatives come forward, and it's too late. It's too late um, to for the children to be placed with them because the children have formed an emotional and psychological and physical bond with the foster parents. And the first thing the judge asked the relatives, well, why didn't you come, you know, come forward sooner? And the truth was, you know, which I think most people found hard to believe, but the truth was, they didn't know. They didn't know that these children were in foster care. And, you know, as parents, you can hide things from relatives that don't live with you. And the parents are always making excuses about where the children were. Relatives didn't know. They accepted those um, representation by the parents. And so the, the children were eventually adopted by the foster parent. So um, that's where the county relied on the parents to tell the social worker where the relatives were. It's my position and belief that the law requires the social worker to go out and find the relatives so that they can be placed, um, so that children can be placed uh, with relatives and not in foster homes. I'm going to go ahead and take another call right now. It's from area code 909, ending in 00. Good morning, Vincent. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you this morning? Good. Did you want to share a story or ask a question? Um, I have a story to share. I'm in mm -hmm. the middle of a juvenile dependency case. On I am the offending parent. Um, I was hospitalized back in January because I had an allergic reaction to a medication that was prescribed to me by my primary care physician. And my children were immediately removed from the home when I was hospitalized because I didn't have anybody at home at the time that was able to take care of them. Um, I've been in the juvenile dependency system for about six months. Uh, they are trying to say that I have a substance abuse problem because I have my medical marijuana recommendation. And they contacted my biological family in regards to the children and found everyone in my biological family unfit to care for the children. However, my relatives claimed that I have a psychological instability. So instead of looking at my medical record and making sure that I'm physically healthy to care for my kids or looking at what's in my children's best interests, 
the CFS office has taken it to a substance abuse and psychological instability issue, and um, they're making it very, very difficult for me. Um, I've been doing everything that the court and social services have asked me to, all of my classes. I've been going to AA twice a week. I've been doing random drug testing. I've provided them with documentation that they've asked through, jumped through every single hoop that I possibly can, anything they're asking me to. Um, and I'm still only allowed to see my child once a week for two hours at a time, supervised visits, um, and I'm supposed to be in the reunification process. So they're supposed to be allowing me more and more and more time so long as I am doing what I'm supposed to. And um, in the beginning, they're supposed to uh, give you or assign you um, like a parent partner, which is somebody that works for social services. And what happens is they had their children taken away in the past, and after they got their children back, they got a job with CPS. So they're supposed to be able to guide you through successfully getting your children back. They never assigned me one of those. I just got one maybe two weeks ago. Um, there's a lot of things they didn't do. When the social worker contacted me after, well, when I contacted the social worker's office um, after I got out of the hospital, they didn't tell me that I was going to get assigned an attorney. They started asking me questions immediately. They asked me to sign paperwork releasing my medical information, which I did because I thought that them seeing that would help by showing, you know, that I am a healthy person. And um, they didn't even talk to my primary care doctor at all. They used that signature in order to um, use paperwork that my biological parents produced for them from when I was like 12 or 13 years old against me in court. They didn't even talk to any of my doctors or anything. Um, and when I spoke with my parent partner that they finally assigned me, she doesn't understand why I haven't been allowed to get more time. And she spoke with my social worker who validated the fact that I am doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, but yet still won't let me have more time with my kids. So I'm in the middle of all that right now. Um, I definitely agree with previous callers as far as the assigned attorney that they give you in court. I didn't even speak to my attorney except for on days that I do have court. I can't get a hold of her. She won't. Um, she doesn't have a voicemail. I can only text message her. She won't respond to my text messages. She doesn't answer her phone ever. And there have been um, things that have happened in my case on the legal realm where the social worker will submit something to the court and the judge will sign it, and I don't even know that it happened. My attorney doesn't contact me or anything. So that's that's my story. Thank you for listening. Well, well let, let, me, let me ask you a couple questions because maybe I can help yeah. you out. Um, how old is your youngest child? He's nine. Okay. So you're coming up on your first six-month review? Yeah, in September. Okay. So this is – do you have a pen? Because I'd like you to write some of this stuff down. Um, let me see if I can get one. Everybody's asleep, so I'm out on the front porch. <laughs> because I want to give you a plan that you can implement, hopefully with the help of your uh, attorney – that will put you in a position to get your children back in September. Okay, I have a pen and a piece of paper now. Okay, the first thing that I'd like you to talk to your attorney about, well, first of all, you're saying you're having problems getting in touch with your court-appointed attorney. So what you should do is you should, you should email your attorney. Okay. The easiest way to find your, if you don't have the business card with the email address on it, is you should go to the State Bar website. I think it's calbar.org, C-A-L-B-A-R dot O-R-G. At that website, attorney's information, and I believe as of last year or this year, every attorney is, practicing attorney is supposed to have a valid email address. So when you go to that website, you'll look up your, your attorney's name. You'll get all his information, including his or her email address. And from now on, your communication should probably be via email. 
And the reason for that is it's memorialized. Uh, nobody can say, oh, you, you know, I called you. No, you didn't. You know, that type of thing. I left you a message. No, you didn't. That type of thing. And emails, you know, attorneys know that emails are, are, are a form of writing. And uh, now you have proof that you're trying to contact the attorney. The first thing you should do is ask your attorney or tell your attorney you'd like to discuss the possibility of filing a 388 petition even though there's a September date coming up. In that 388 petition, what I would talk to your attorney about is, number one, returning the children right now. Number two, uh, increasing your visitation to overnight visits, perhaps weekends and overnights. Or number three, at the very least, asking for unmonitored visits with the children. Um, What county is your case in? San Bernardino. Okay, so San Bernardino kind of has this unwritten rule, by the way, it's not California law, that they don't like to return children right away. They want to do some type of progress uh, step-up plan to returning the children. So you have unmonitored day visits for a few hours. You have unmonitored day visits for the whole day. Then you go to overnight weekends, and then we return the child to you. That's the kind of step-up plan they like to do in a lot of counties. And I'm here to tell you that that's not the law, okay? It might okay. be something the social worker likes to do, but it's not the law. It might be something the judge likes to do, but in my opinion, it's not supported by California law. Now, so you file that 388 even though you're very close to your first six-month hearing. What that will do is give you a little pressure on the social worker, a little leverage that, hey, you know, if you're going to do this step-up plan, um, I want it started right now. We're not going to wait till September to start the step-up plan. Let's start the step-up plan now in July. Yeah. And to prepare prepare that 388, you and your attorney are going to have to have a list of all the services you were supposed to do, and you're going to have to have proof by letter or certificate that you have completed all of those services and you put in the 388 petition. The 388 petition is a JV form, and I forget the exact number. I think it's 295, something like that. It's a, it's a JV form, and it's only four pages long. But a good 388 petition will include that mandatory JV form that you have to use, but it will also include a declaration by you with attached exhibits known as evidence and perhaps the declarations of other people, for example, your service provider, for example, your relatives, for example, you know, people who know or see you with the children. So that should be attached. Also attached to the 388 should be, a rec- you should also have a request of having the children placed in a foster home. Excuse me, not in a foster home, in a home with relatives or close family friends. Let me say that again. With relatives or close family friends. Because if a child's in foster care, generally speaking, the leverage is not with you. Okay, it's against you. But if you have the child placed with a close family friend or a relative who supports you getting the child back, you're going to be in a much better position come the time of the hearing and a trial. So I don't know if your children are with relatives now, but if they're not, what I tell my clients, and it's no secret, give me a list of 25 names with uh, names, addresses, telephone numbers, emails, and tell me the relationship of the relative or friend to the children, not to you, but to the children. And I make that part of a lot of 388s that we file. So you might want to consider doing that with your attorney. Okay. Um, I also... I also recommend, you know, a lot of attorneys don't do this, but I recommend, and you can talk to your attorney about it, is filing the 388 with what is called a memorandum of points and authorities. That's a legal uh, document that has um, law in it to support the facts and legal analysis um, to, you know, return the children to you now, to return, you know, give you unmonitored visits, to give you overnight visits. By the way, if what you're telling me is accurate and you've done everything, you do not have to wait to the six-month date to get your children back. 
it's my opinion that the reason why the social workers want you to wait until the six-month period is because they make more money from the federal government off of you and your family by extending the children being out of your care. So, you know, a a lot of social workers take the position that, hey, we don't want to return the children to the mother because, you know, uh, it's too early. We're not sure she's done everything. You know, we're scared if we send the children home. The law is if if you've done everything and you're no longer a risk to the children, they should be returned. Before the six-month date, yes, before the six-month date, the social worker has the power to do that. And if the social worker doesn't exercise her power or his power in doing that, you have the power to file the 388 petition. Okay. okay. And by the way, if the, if the judge doesn't give you a hearing on the 388 petition or gives you a hearing and decides against you, you have the right to appeal that to the Court of Appeals. And there are a lot of favorable decisions from the Court of Appeals about judges not granting 388s, about judges not even giving you a hearing on your 388. So the law is there. Now, the practice may not be there in that particular courtroom or that particular courthouse, but the law is there for you to use a 388. It's like, a, it's like your lifeline in your juvenile dependency case, and not enough people use that lifeline. Now, the yeah, other thing I've never I want even to tell heard you of it. Is, The other thing I want to tell you is when you file a 388, the code says that the judge must give you a hearing within so many days. And what a lot of judges do um, to preserve judicial economy, which is not the law, is that if you file, let's say you file a 388 today, you're supposed to have a hearing on that or a denial of that 388 within, I think it's 21 days. I'd have to look at the statute, but there's a time limit. And what a lot of judges do, and I, think, I don't think this is right, is they continue that 388 until your six-month review hearing. Well, that's like almost two months away, and that's not what the law says. The law says you're supposed to have a decision on that 388 as soon as possible because the law favors you getting your children back early. You know, don't wait till the six-month hearing. But everybody's, you know, tied up into this. We're going to do, not going to do anything until the six-month hearing. And it's my belief that the counties do this to make more money from the federal government. That's just my opinion. A lot of people will say I'm crazy. I mentioned that to a social worker, excuse me, to a county council in San Bernardino recently, and he just laughed. But I had happened to see, I happened to see a videotaped deposition of basically the chief financial officer for I believe it was Orange County, and this lady explained in her deposition in a civil rights lawsuit how the counties make money off of these cases. You know, everybody thinks, oh, we're doing this to protect children. Uh, There may be some truth in that, but we're doing this to make money. It's America. And even governmental entities, their goal is to make money. Many, many, many years ago, before I became a lawyer, I was a certified public accountant. I'm no longer a certified public accountant, but I worked for an international accounting firm. And the Los Angeles office's biggest client was the county of Los Angeles. And there's something called governmental accounting. Governmental accounting is different from accounting from you and I or regular businesses, but the goal is still the same. They want revenue to exceed expenses. And the only way to get revenue, if you're a governmental entity, is by taxing the citizens or by getting revenue, grants, and, and money from federal, the federal government. The federal government spends billions and billions of dollars on these juvenile cases, these juvenile dependency cases uh, nationwide. So in my opinion, it's a cottage industry. And it's a cottage industry, unfortunately, that um, where people and families get torn apart and they get destroyed. Um, And I think that if it happens to one family, it's too much. It's just too much. So what you should do is, you know, email your attorney. 
try to get your attorney, him or her, to work with you. Now, sometimes if you had listened to the – and by the way, I want to say this. All court-appointed attorneys are not bad. All right? I used to be a court-appointed attorney many, many, many years ago. I know people who are very good court-appointed attorneys now. The problem is court-appointed attorneys are like everything else in life. There's some really bad ones, there's some really good ones, and there's a lot in between. And sometimes, you know, when you're talking about your family and trying to get your family back together, that's the number one thing on your mind. Unfortunately, because of the number of cases attorneys have, court-appointed attorneys have, that may not be the number one thing on their mind. So sometimes you have to pick up the mantle and work with your attorney and kind of nudge your attorney to do things on your case. You don't want to do anything without consulting your attorney, though, because I don't know about your case. I haven't reviewed it. So, you know, I'm talking just off the top of my head. Your attorney will know your case, and you should confer with your attorney. Now, if it gets to a point where you can't fit that square peg in the round hole and you just decide your attorney's not going to do it, uh, and I get a lot of calls like that, then you need to consider you and your family hiring a private attorney. There are several good private attorneys that handle cases in San Bernardino, including my my firm. And, um, you know, you should probably have a free consultation and find out if they can help you if your court-appointed attorney will not. But give your court-appointed attorney a chance. You know, if you've called and left messages and they haven't returned calls, that's a no-no. Attorneys can get in, you know, big trouble for doing that. But you don't have to have that he said, she, she, she said, you know, argument, oh, you didn't call me. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Just send the email. Okay. That's a digital, that's a digital record that will last forever. Yeah. All right. All right. I want to thank you, so you much, for calling. Thank you for calling in, and uh, good luck to you, and uh, have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. Okay, so um, we still have calls coming in. I'm going to take another call. This is from area code 818, ending in 7-1. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine this Saturday morning. Did you have a story that you wanted to tell or a question you wanted to ask? I have a question actually to ask. Well, half and half. Um, it's a question, but it's related to a previous incident. Um, I have, at the moment, I have a new neighbor that had moved in, and um, this neighbor walking by just heard. I have two little, three little kids. I have two of them are twins, seven year old. They're seven year old twins, and the youngest one is five years old. Um, I live in a townhome and. They're running around, playing, yelling, screaming, fighting. And one of my neighbors that just moved in heard the kids um, in one of their wild moments and took it upon himself to call DCFS saying that he believed they were being abused. So a social worker comes by. Um, just, just I was in shock. Just comes by and says that a call came in saying that the kids were black and blue. <laughs> So, I mean, I have nothing to hide, and, and I let them see the kids. They were fine. They were fine, and there was nothing, there was nothing wrong with the kids. And um, the, the police was also, I guess, summoned, so they came as well and um, had left me a business card. Um, so I called them back. They wanted to see the children. So, again, I took them to the police station. They took a look at the kids. They talked to the kids. And they said, okay, we're done. You know, this is just, they closed out whatever they were doing and sent me home. Um, Now the social worker kept coming back and um, saying, well, this is the thing. I have a previous case that was closed maybe four or five years ago. And they started saying that um, going going back into that case. and, And my question actually is, can they go back and dig into an old case that's been closed? When you mean when when you mean go back, what do you mean? Um, they can look at it. 
uh, in my opinion, they can't use it against you, especially if it's been resolved. Um, but a lot of times they bring up stuff. Uh, you know, they try to pile on the evidence if they're trying to make a case for you, you know, against you. And one of the, you know, one of the ways to do that is to get bring up old history. And so they'll, that's what they'll, they're they'll doing now. Do. So tell, what are they? What are they trying to do to you? Well, they're now they're telling me that um, they're looking at the old case. They were looking at the last final court order, and uh, which I was given a copy, and my copy said that the case was over, and at the time, if the father wanted to be involved, it would be up to me whether to let him be involved with the kids or not. And, uh, right. and that was that's the final thing I had received from court. Now they're telling me uh, that um, there is... A different court order. That's not the court order. That's not the right court order. And I'm saying I'm trying to tell them no. That's what I received. I have nothing else from the court. And they're saying that mm-hmm. it said that the father is not allowed to be around the kids unless he, um, he goes back to to court and 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 um, and uh, goes through the whole process of whatever it is he needs to do to be involved, to be allowed to visit the, the children. Mm-hmm. So now, and and did you wait? Hold on, it's important. Did you ask them to email you or fax or mail you a copy of the court order they're referring to? I did. I did myself and my sister also, who's a licensed clinical social worker. Um, she she kind of got involved as well because she she asked the same questions and I asked the same questions as well, and it took them four days to respond and and what they sent me at first was an email and it was just a typed up um rules or you know orders supposedly that were from court but it was not on a court letterhead or court paperwork it was just typed up and then again i said well you have the originals because this is not what i have and i have shown them what i had from the court then it took another five days before they emailed me something that I have never received, I don't have. And it looks very odd what the, the paperwork is. is and, and I'm not even sure if that's really real or not. You know, I have my doubts because it's something I've never, ever received. They told me that after my case closed, the last day, the last hearing I had was June 5th of 2012, they said that after that last hearing, there was another hearing that was held five days later, but I had no knowledge of. So I'm thinking, if my case closed and that was the last hearing, why would there be another hearing afterwards? So what they're showing me has a different date than what I'm being given, than what I was given. So I'm not, I'm not really understanding what's going on there. And I feel like they're building up, trying to build up a case to open up a case against me. You know, I hear that. I hear what you're telling me a lot from people, um, especially recently. It seems like, you know, they're having hearings without noticing you, um, and that's improper. That violates the Constitution of the United States. It violates the Constitution here in California, the Fourteenth Amendment. So, what I would do just to make sure is, I'd, I'd go down to the court clerk's office, the juvenile court clerk. And uh-huh. I'd ask the court clerk. I'd ask the court clerk for maybe the last three or four minute orders, so that you can see for yourself if things were happening without you, and if things were happening without you, um, I would um, contact the attorney who represented you in that case, or the attorney's law firm, and see if okay. you can get that resolved. Okay. Now, I don't know, have you uh, been to any of my websites? Yes, I have. Okay. So, you know, what I recommend to people is they not speak to social workers. And if you don't want to hire an attorney, I think your communications with the social workers should be via email. It's basically the same thing I told the last caller. Emails are digital records that last forever. 
All right. So if you say something and the social worker says something, there's not going to be any confusion because it's memorialized, it's written down. If they are still investigating you, they are indeed trying to um, investigate you to start a juvenile case in the juvenile dependency court, or they're trying to start something called a voluntary case to make you do certain parenting, counseling, and you know all that type of stuff. Um, again, it's my opinion that they're doing that because that's the way they make money. That's the way they sell their services, and they charge mm-hmm. the federal government f- for doing that. Now, what I also would do is um, I would contact the go to, when you go to court, you can get certified copies from the clerk's office. And those certified copies you can use and uh, show the social worker that perhaps, you know, it's not uh, the minute order in the case. Now, I I don't know if you know this, if you've been watching in the news, but there are four or five social workers being criminally prosecuted for um, lying in the Lancaster little boy. Yes, yes. So you have heard of it. So and yes. those those social workers, by the way, are are facing years in state prison for lying to the court, as mm-hmm. well they should be. Um, I was involved in a in another case where my client was suing um, some social workers and the county of Los Angeles, and in the videotape deposition, the social worker admitted to lying and admitted to using documents that were forged. Can you believe Ooh, that? If wow. you did that, you, wow. if you did that, you'd be in jail. You'd be in jail. Wow. So, this social worker, um, uh, you know, so I, in my opinion, social workers are not above, you know, showing you something that may may not be accurate. I was involved in a case in Orange County maybe a year and a half ago, where the social worker lied on the stand. The judge knew it, brought in two other social work corroborate her story, and one of them said that it wasn't true, and one of them said something to the effect like, I'm not lying for her. Oh, wow. So social workers, you know, using the funny documents uh, or saying something that's not true is not is not a rare thing. It happens all the time. We have a case right now where we're suing a social worker. Get this. She forged my client's signature on some documents. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I believe it. I, it it's, I, oh, that's, I mean, that should not be you know, happening. It's just. Right. Social workers are human beings. And they have the same faults as all human beings do. So if you can imagine it, you know, a human being doing something, you know, you can imagine that a social worker may do that. So what I would do is to verify this for myself. I would go down to the courthouse. I would get the court records and verify what the court order is. And then if the social worker is accurate, I contact my attorney and say, hey, how come you didn't tell me this? If it's not accurate, I would email the social worker and say, hey, I went down there and I got the court order. You know, I don't know what you're talking about, but, you know, this is the final order. And that way you can protect yourself and you can do it in writing. But you definitely should take the time and and take care of that because next thing you know, they're going to be trying to offer you services, make you do classes, counseling that you don't want to do. Or they may even try to start a case against you. And, of course, you know, you don't want that to happen. No, actually, well, when initially that we, the social worker that was coming out initially started when he mentioned the previous case, uh, he said he was actually one day called said he was on his way to the courthouse to get a copy of the records, which I thought maybe they probably would have in their office, but I guess not. And uh, depending on what he would find on the court orders, then he would proceed from there on. And, uh, then he contacted me again maybe a couple of days later, and there was nothing that was on there on the court records. He just wanted me to do certain things, you know, um, in the house and then get him some information about the school and medical stuff for the kids, which I was getting together. Um, 
But in the meantime, he would say that he would come back, but he wouldn't show up for a week, two weeks, and I would call, leave messages. He wouldn't return my calls. And I, I was discussing this with my sister, and my sister said, you know, maybe you should call the supervisor. And, and I said, you know, I don't know if I want to do that yet. So she ended up following up with the supervisor and letting the supervisor know what's going on so that, you know, this wouldn't turn around and be something about me not cooperating with them. Now, I'm not sure whether they bumped heads or not with the social work, with the, my sister, with the supervisor. But from there on, um, they, this, this social worker never came back again. Another one came to the house, knocked on the door and said, you know what, I'm here to close your case. And, and we were like, okay, fine. You know, and he walked in and the whole thing just switched, flipped around to this whole bringing up the old case that there was a court order and this and that. And I'm like, but the social worker that was here two weeks ago said there was nothing. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm, I'm like, okay, they're, are they retaliating because my sister questioned them or called the supervisor? This is well, where I'm that. like, it's, it's really, um, and they are actually, they're planning on being at my house on Monday at 10 a.m. to go over their concerns or whatever else. And I, and I asked them, I said, are you guys trying to open up a case against me? Because I, I'm not about to do that because I've done nothing wrong you know, and what I've been provided is different than what you guys have. You know, I, I want to tell you something and, you know, um, I tell this to a lot of people, they don't believe me, but you don't have a, you don't have an obligation to meet with social workers. You don't have an obligation to talk to the social worker. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No, and, they're making me, they seem like if I don't, they're taking my kids from me and, and there's no way I'm going to let that happen. Right. And I have but done I'm nothing you, wrong, and my kids are. So I didn't know. I, I didn't. I was under no obligation to discuss anything with them. I didn't know that. Right. They can get a warrant to come in your house, but you don't have to talk to them. They can get a warrant to inspect your children or to um, talk to your children. They can get a warrant to take your children, but they can never get a warrant to make you talk to them. So. You can talk to them. I recommend to most people, don't talk to them unless, you know, you have an attorney present. Because, you know, I've heard many, many stories about people um, who felt that they were retaliated against when they try to assert knowledge of their rights, you know, to um, the social worker. I think, you know, I get the impression from some stories that the social workers, um, you know, uh, don't like people who are uh, asserting their rights and, and the, the protection the law affords them. So, I mean, you know, social workers are trained investigators. They're trained at questioning. They're trained at, you know, gathering evidence. Um, and a lot of people think, you know, just ordinary people, parents, they think that they can uh, stand their ground with social workers, and, that, and and it's not true. So be very careful when you meet with social workers, the things that you say, the things that you do, because you may see it later on in a report, and you will think, oh, that's not what was said. It was taken out of context. Or you might say, hey, that's a complete lie. You know, oh, I already I've saw that. I've already times. seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I've I see it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times from people telling me, you know what, I didn't, I didn't say that to the social worker, or I said the exact opposite. You know, um, somebody last night was just telling me um, that they were interviewed by a social worker, and they told the social worker that they didn't, um, they hadn't seen the father, you know, in a couple of years, and when the, she got the report, the, the social worker said. Uh, oh, mother and father are together all the time. Yeah, you know, this is about 360 degrees different. Hmm. So, you know, be very careful. What a lot of people are doing now are, is asking the social worker to uh, tape record their conversations. And social workers in Los Angeles especially, uh, they uh, don't agree to that. And I've always wondered why. But ma'am, well, I want to yeah, thank you for was- your 
that was my plan is to record their conversation if I do meet with them on Monday. But um, what would you recommend I meet with them or do I cancel it? I did, um, you know, speak with your office and, and I was hoping, you know, to be able to have you as my attorney, of course. Um, but I don't know if I should cancel it or postpone it or just not talk to them. In my opinion, from what you've told me so far, you should cancel it and tell them, hey, I'll meet with you, but my attorney, Vince Davis, says he has to be there. Please call him and reschedule the appointment. We do this all the time. It happens all the time. Okay. And and even if the police, let's say LA, LAPD, has said this unfounded, this is ridiculous, and close their case, the, the social workers don't, they don't rely on, on, you know, the police's opinion or, and, or it doesn't matter what the police thinks. Well, it does matter, but the social workers don't rely on it, and they can do their own investigation. Interesting. Okay. That's All right. Well, All right. thank you so much, Mr. Davis. Thank you for calling. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, we're getting we're running out of time here this morning. Wow, that hour really went fast. I'm going to try to take one more call. Um, it's from area code six six one, ending in three seven. Yay! Hello. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Did you have a story or a question? Kind of both. Um, okay, this is what's going on right now. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I called, well, I went down to the sheriff's station and I fabricated a story against my husband because he was being unfaithful. And what I did, I, I'm sorry. Hello? Yes, I'm listening. I went back down to the sheriff's station to tell them that I did fabricate the story, but the sheriff had called Child Protective Services on me. Yes, baby. Okay, turtle. Sorry about that. So the sheriff's station, the sheriff department called Child Protective Services, saying that I, um, my kids were being emotionally abused, all of that. Now. I ended up getting into it with the social worker. This is kind of hard to talk with my son. What do you want, honey? Ma'am? Natasha's coming. Yeah, sorry about that. So to make a long story short, I ended up getting into it with the social worker. So the social worker ended up fabricating a story against me. And now that I don't have that social worker, I have a new social worker. She told me that my case should not have been open because I never failed to protect my children. But they're putting on there that I failed to protect my children. Um, Along with that, they had me to do a 730 evaluation. And on the 730 evaluation, it said that I scored so high, which is a 91, no one in a general population can score that that high. Therefore, my tests are invalid, and all all of the tests are invalid because it's not my true functioning. So I want to know what can I do as of now because they don't have anything on me. They don't have anything in the past on me. They're trying to say now that I have mental issues, now that they really can't come up with a real mental issue. They said I have an unspecified personality disorder. They're just trying to come up with a lot of things, and okay. they wanted well, me to sign me a plea you. bargain. I'm let sorry, me, what did you did say? They start, let me answer the question because we're running out of time. Uh, did they Just tell me yes or no. Did they start a juvenile case against you? Yes, they did. I okay. go to trial and September a... the 23rd. Okay, and... this is what I want you to do. Hold on. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to, I want you to call my office. I want you to make an appointment for a free consultation, either in person or over the phone. Okay. And I'll, help you, I'll tell you in detail what you should do. Thank you for calling me this morning, and please listen in next weekend. Okay, we're running out of time. I want to tell everyone that next weekend we'll continue the show about suing social workers and we'll continue taking your calls. Every Saturday morning, 
from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. The call-in number is 646-668-8791, and you can listen to us. The shows are taped at talkradioexperts.com. 